because um, I really feel like it's, it's kind of very customary for me and what I do um, is that I, I really take it seriously when the beginning of the year starts, I, I really have an expectation for God to speak to me about what he's trying to do this year. And, and, and I'm sure that most of you do this, and if you don't do it, I would encourage you to do it, or at least you know, do your very best to find somebody who does do this, who has like a prophetic word over 2018. Um, but I like to do it myself, because although I take what other people say, I like to know specifically, Lord, what are you saying to me? And and, uh, and I feel like what the Lord spoke to me, I kind of want to bring you into it because I feel like not only does it have to do with me, but there are, there are people that I know that, or excuse me, that I feel like uh, could also benefit from maybe a little bit of adjusting. And, and uh, as, I, as I went to the Lord and I sought the Lord, I, I literally heard one word from the Lord. Now, normally I hear a lot more than just one word, uh, but this time I heard the Lord say one word and he said the word recalibrate. And, you know, a funny thing actually happened to me after this, which is why I knew it was the Lord who said to me, recalibrate, was I was, I've been going to the gym, like, really seriously, my dad and I, since the new year. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to get back in shape and trying to lose a little bit of the holiday weight that I put on and whatever. And um, I remember going there the first day, and, you know, I step on the scale, and it said something like, I, I can't remember what it was, like, let's say it was like 212 or something like that, that I was. And... Um, I'm six feet tall, right? So don't judge me, right? It's tall people, right? We weigh a lot. Uh, now, so I remember that I stepped on the scale and then I, I didn't step on the scale and then probably about like a week and a half, two weeks went by and I stepped back on the scale and the scale said that I was 195, right? And so I'm like dancing, rejoicing, thinking that like somehow I found the miracle workout that I literally have lost like almost 20 pounds. And, and you know, and so I'm talking to my dad and I'm just like really pumping myself up. Like, you know, dad, I just really know how to work out right? I know what I'm doing. I know how to work out and I know my body and I know how to lose weight. And so it's no surprise to me that I have lost this weight. You know, come to find out the next day when I go back to the gym, the scale says out of order and the scale needed to be recalibrated, right? And then when I stepped back on it, it said like 211 and I'd actually lost like one pound. Um, but I knew that it was the Lord saying to this word to me, recalibrate. And, and although, you know, there, we, we recalibrate things in the natural, I've come from a science background. And so, you know, you learn all about recalibrating and understanding those different things. But I feel like what the Lord is saying in, to us as the body of Christ, you know, Light City Church in 2018, I think where the Lord wants to recalibrate us is, you know, back to, can I say it like this, our first love. Because if there's one thing that, you know, like allow me to be transparent for a moment, there's one thing that even I've noticed in my own life is that as we walk through disappointment and disappointing situations and circumstances, whether we know it or not, a lot of the times those situations in our life have the ability to slightly shift our course. And sometimes you don't notice it right off the bat, right? It's like, you know, if you're weighing something and something is, the scale is slowly, you know, like 0 0.01, it's slowly getting out of calibration. You don't notice it for a little while, but eventually over time, that 0 0.01 starts compounding on it, itself. And eventually you find yourself 10, 15, in my case, 20 pounds out, you know, sadly, you know, out of that range. And I feel like sometimes that happens to us really in our relationship with the Lord is that when we start off in the Lord, we're, we're super zealous, you know, because, you know, we're, we're baby Christians and we're zealous because it's just what we do. 
And over time and going through disappointment and situation and things happen and, you know, it's not long before you realize. And sometimes, you know, a few years ago, I remember thinking about myself that way, looking back at who I was five years ago, thinking to myself very honestly, you know, where did that person go? Not that I didn't love the Lord, not that I wasn't committed to ministry, not that I didn't desire to give my all to the Lord, but I could tell how disappointments and troubling situations, circumstances in my life had slowly but surely changed my course to the place where five years later, I couldn't even recognize the person I was five years ago. And I think that if we could be honest with ourselves, you know, in one way or another, maybe it's in a relationship, maybe it's in the area of healing, maybe it's in the area of finances, maybe it's in, you know, your relationship with the Lord, maybe it's in your desire to do ministry. I don't necessarily know what it is, but I'm fairly confident that if we were all to check ourselves, we could say that we're different now than maybe we were a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. And I want to read, a, we're going to, the scripture we're going to read from this evening is 2 Samuel 18. And, and, and it's a very interesting passage of scripture because uh, it's not a, really a passage of scripture that we hear much about when we talk about King David. Uh, you know, the, the King David we see in 2 Samuel is very different than the King David that we see in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, at about this same chapter, verse 8, you know, chapter 18 in 1 Samuel, we see a very different David. This is David, you know, post killing Goliath and, you know, post doing all the amazing things that he's done. And, and now we come to this moment where, you know, a, 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 a book later, we get into 2 Samuel and we see a very different person, a very different person that we don't hear about in Sunday schools because really this man that we're about to talk to is really just a shadow in comparison to the man that he was just one book earlier. And, uh, for, you know, we're, we're going to read, let's just read it right now. We're going to read from 2 Samuel 18. We're going to go from verse 33. And we're going to go from 19 to verse 8. So just a few scriptures. So it says this, the king was shaken. How many of you know that's a negative way to start, right? I mean, like, you know, for a, for a passage of scripture, for, you know, if, if somebody was to come and describe you, you know, they would say, Alex is shaken. You know, that's a pretty negative way to describe what's happening in his life. And it says this, that the king, King David, went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went and said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now, what's happening, to give you a little bit of context, and I'm sure that most of you know the story of what happened, but Absalom, who was David's son, basically started a coup against David uh, in order to take over the throne. And, and what happened is, you know, through this really weird, weird ha events, you know, it was like his son, uh, um, Absalom, had really nice long hair, and it was so beautiful. It, was, it says that like every springtime he would cut his hair off and it would weigh like two pounds. So this guy had a beautiful flowing lock, you know, he was like Fabio, right? Just like totally chilling. And, but his beautiful hair was actually his demise because it says that when he was riding along, his hair was so big. I can just imagine like, you know, like those black women have like, remember those beehive things, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, anyways. I can just imagine he's riding and it said that his hair was so long and big, right, that it got caught in a tree. And he was literally like stuck like, oh my gosh, my, I'm stuck in a tree, right? <laughs> literally his hair was hanging him in a tree and through that he was killed. And so this is David lamenting over the fact that his son is now dead. And, and so it says this, that, you know, he says, you know, Absalom, my son, my son, if only I had died instead of you. This is an extremely troubling place to be. You see the, the absolute brokenness of this once conquering hero. 
you know, the man who, you know, the, the town was cheering about, you know, you know, Saul gives thousands and David 10,000. I mean, this was the hero of the day. And now we see him just one book later and he says this, Absalom, you know, if only I had died instead of you. It says this, that Joab was told that the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. And for the whole army, the victory that day was turned into mourning because on that day, the troops heard it said, the king is grieving for his son. You know, the very opposite of what we know the Lord does in our life, we see it happening in David's. The Lord turns our mourning into joy and we see David is so distressed, he's so distraught through all the things that have happened in his life. It says that even this moment of victory, he just spoils it because he's just absolutely broken up on the inside. It says this in verse three, it says, the men stole into the city that day as men stealing who are ashamed when they flee from battle. The king covered his face and cried aloud, oh my son Absalom, oh Absalom, my son, my son. It's like you can't even understand what happened to this guy, David. And I think that sometimes as we think about it and as we talk about it, you know, really, I think that each of us experience these things in our own life. Maybe you've never lost a son and, you know, maybe you've never lamented to that extreme where you'd say, you know, oh, why am I still alive? But, but we've each experienced situations in our life that would try to do to us what's happened to King David right here. That try to make us, you know, just a shadow of the person we know God has destined us to be. And I feel like in 2018, as we step across this line, there are some things in our life, some things in our past that we've gone through, things that maybe we've struggled with consistently over and over and over throughout the years, areas where we have been able to trip up and fallen. I feel so much of what the Lord is saying as we step right across this line into 2018, is it's time for us to recalibrate. It's time for us to come back to that place of being the victorious bride that Jesus purchased. And so it says this, then Joab went into the house to the king and said, let me tell you something. Sometimes it's the best thing to do is to have people around us. And Joab doesn't come with this encouraging word. He actually comes with a word that's pretty harsh. You know, and, and how many of you know, it's almost like, you know, you're pouring salt onto the wound. Like he's like, just kill me, right? And now we're gonna see Joab comes in and literally like sticks the knife in even deeper. And Joab says this, he goes into the house and he says, this is what Joab says to the king. He says, today you have humiliated all your men who have just saved your lives and the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines. Imagine feeling this, right? Like you feel bad enough, okay? You love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You've made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean nothing to you. I see that you would be pleased if Absalom were alive today and all of us were dead. Now go, oh, right, you could just see it. You know, this is like, I can see it. You know, it's, it reminds me of my mom, right? <laughs> you can see he's got like the gritted teeth at this point. Cause he's like, no, go out. Where am I here? Wait, 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 now go out and encourage your men, I swear, right? Like, you know, he's, this is it. Like, I swear to God, if you don't get out there, I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will be left with you by nightfall. And this will be worse for you than all the calamities that have come on you from your youth until now. 
and we're going to get to this. This is where we're getting. And it says this in, in verse 8. It says, so the king got up, took his seat in the gateway. When the men were told the king is sitting in the gateway, they came before him. You see, this is David's response after not just one or two, but a long, long line, history of disappointments, of failures. I mean, you read the story of David and it's, you know, most, the, the majority of the life of David isn't told in Sunday school because it's, it's kind of more PG-13 than G-rated, right? I mean, you know, he goes from, yay, you know, killing Goliath and that's so amazing. And then it's not long before we, we read about him, you know, with the lady taking a bath, Bathsheba, right? We read about that and, you know, it's not long before we see the dysfunction in David's family, right? We, you read about the, his son is, you know, sleeping with his daughter, right? I mean, like, this is some serious dysfunction in the midst of him. And we see David in this moment where I think that maybe a lot of us sometimes find ourselves, this moment where it's kind of like all the bad stuff in our life catches up to us and we make this decision that we're just, you know, I just got to slow down. You know, I've experienced times like that in my own Christianity where, you know, you go through thing after thing and you hear, you know, things and people say things and do things and you don't understand it. And it's not long before those things begin to eat away at you. And, you know, your failures and your shames and your disappointments, they eat away at you. And we've all found ourselves in this moment like where King David is. And so finally we see, unfortunately, David for the man that he really is. He's a broken man filled with regret and filled with shame. But I tell you something, the beautiful part of this story is that he was one decision away from changing the rest of his lives. And this scripture is amazing because, I, I love it because when we read the scriptures, we realize that these people, they've dealt with the same things that we deal with on a daily basis. I love the scripture because of that, because it's not just, you know, these good ideas or these perfect people out there but it's real things that we can simply identify with. And, you know, and, and I identify with it, you know, maybe not exactly in the same way, but I identify with the shame that King David was feeling. And I remember I went through this one particular time in my life, I think it was 13 years old, and I was trying out for a travel hockey team in Fort Erie. Um, and you know, I was going through, doing all the cuts, and everything was great. I was making it, and getting down to the final cut where there were two people who were still going to get cut from the team. And you know, they're calling everybody in one by one, and you know, they're going in, and they're, you know, they come back, and everybody's like, "Did you make it?" And they're like, "Yeah, we made it." They're like, "Yeah, woo, we made it." You know, so everybody's going in and going out and going in and going out, and everybody is making the team, right? And then, ooh, you know, it's coming, right? It's my turn to go in there. I walk into the change room and I'm thinking, you know, when you're young, you're thinking, of course I made it. Like, why would I not make it? I walked into that room and I remember they cut me. Ooh, they cut me from the team. And I was so bummed. But I think like David, I was experiencing such shame in that moment that when I, this is funny, but when I went back into the room and they're like, did you make it? Did you make it? I was like, yeah, I made it, right? Because I was like, I, there's no way I'm going to be the first guy in there to tell them that I didn't make it because I was filled with such shame. I know it's part funny, part sad. I know. You know, I was wondering, they were probably, the, you know, after the first game, they're wondering like, where is this kid? Like, did he just quit the team, right? Um, but, but this is the, the reality is, is that those this situations in our life, these things, these moments where we are faced with the shame and the insecurity, that they have this innate ability, if we don't understand how to deal with them, they have this ability to change us in a way that could literally last forever. 
Like I tell you something, you know, I, I, I've gone back to that memory doing a rhema on, you know, in a session because of the, the crazy impact this one situation had of me, you know, it wasn't like somebody tried to cut my arm off. I just got cut from a hockey team, right? Which, but, but these things, these moments of shame have such an ability to hinder us. And we're seeing David in this moment because he didn't understand how to deal with the shame of his life. He comes to this moment and feels like I would rather die than be alive. And I think that sounds really intense as we make those statements, but I think that in some areas of our lives, we've allowed them to die because of the shame we think we're going to experience if we allow those things to come back to life. And I think because of it, as we continue to walk forward, if we aren't mindful of this idea that we need to recalibrate ourselves, we need to make sure that the enemy doesn't have this ability to, to steal things from us. If we aren't constantly remained in a place where we're looking at ourselves and making sure that the enemy's hand hasn't stopped any of us, we could become shadows of the people that we used to be. You see, maybe you've never had a situation like this. Maybe you never got cut from a hockey team. You know, maybe you never, you know, had to kill your son. Hopefully you didn't have to. I mean, that would be weird, okay? But we've all experienced things like this, like I said. We've all gone through situations in our lives, in relationships, in jobs, and with friends. We've all gone through these experiences. You know, maybe it's in ministry. You got up and you tried to say something and you kind of stumbled over your words. And so now you've kind of said, you know, I'm never going to speak again. You know, you gave somebody that encouraging word and, you know, it's happened to me so many times. You give somebody this prophetic word and you're like, yes, this is it. And you're like, does that make sense to you? And they're like, absolutely not, right? <laughs> but you see, sometimes what can happen to us in those moments is that it changes us. The shame changes us. But I tell you something, the beauty of this story is that there's hope. Say there's hope. Because you see, it's a few, only a few verses later that, uh, that we see David, and he's back in his position as the king. And, and the beauty of this is that David's deepest moment of shame is actually the turning point that makes him the greatest, really the greatest king. He does the greatest things that he's done as a result of being able to deal with this thing. I mean, by the time that verse 22 comes around, or chapter 22 comes around, right? So we're talking about, this is just like, you know, maybe a couple weeks later, we see a very different David. I mean, this is the song that David is singing, you know? The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, right? I mean, like three weeks ago, he's like, you know, I wish that I could die. And now he's like, God is my rock in whom I take refuge. It says this, he's brought me out into the spacious place and rescued me because he delights in me. It says this, I have been blameless before him. He's, he's saying all these amazing things. We see this amazing change that happens on the inside of him. Why? Because of one simple reason. He figured out how to recalibrate himself to the truth of who the word of God says he is. And so we see that just a few verses later, it's literally like we're looking at a different person. I feel like what we're doing as we, as we sit in this room right now, that this, this moment that King David had, I believe this is where the Lord is inviting us into. Now, I'm not going to ask you to jump up. We're not going to have a public share session of all of our, you know, deepest painful memories. But I tell you something, I... I've discovered in my own life that things that hinder me from being the person who I know God wants me to be, that they're worth dealing with. 
I think about this all the time. There's nothing in my life that's worth the destiny that God has for me. I mean, I've seen visions of my life and who God wants me to be, and there's no way that I'm going to allow some memory of me getting cut from a hockey team to create such a shame in me that won't allow me to be the person I know God has made me to be. And I think that if we could be honest with ourselves, even for just a moment, and allow Holy Spirit to touch those areas of our heart, we're going to experience exactly what it was. So, so let's talk really quickly about what was it, I, I want to talk about the transition. As we read that scripture, what was the transition that happened in King David's life? Because it's important for us to understand these things. And, and, and I apologize that I'm not like wildly hyped tonight. You know, I'll try to make you laugh at the end. Um, but I really feel that just the, the, the importance of understanding how to make this transition away from being stuck in things that we've been stuck in and step into the freedom that God has for us in 2018. Okay? So in verse 1833, can you throw it up there? Verse 1833, we see this one thing. We see that David is very, very focused on himself. Can I tell you something? The quickest way to get yourself in a ditch and to get seriously bummed out is to stay focused on yourself. Can I get an amen? Can I get two amens? How about three or four? All right, you're, you're getting there. We're, we're, we're trying. I'll give it to you. We're trying. But we see this, right? David is, he's so consumed with himself, his self and his own emotions, right? We see that all that David could see, the only thing that in the midst of, you know, uh, the, like his army, his country had just won an amazing battle. He had just done something absolutely amazing, but he was so focused on himself and his own failures that he wasn't able to see what God was doing right in his midst. I tell you something, if you find yourself, you know, I'm going to look this way. If you find yourself, maybe I should get a mirror, right? If you find yourself constantly thinking about yourself, don't be surprised when you find yourself feeling pretty darn negative pretty much all the time. Right? Like you ever have that before in your life, you know, where you go into like an introspective time? You know, I find that very little good comes from introspective times. When I'm so focused on myself and I see all the things that are wrong with me, I pretty well live bummed out all the time. And this is what we're seeing happen in King David's life. He's so bummed out because he's so focused on his failures. The quickest way to get stuck in a season, to get stuck in your shame, to get stuck in your guilt, to get stuck is to stay focused on yourself. The second thing we see is verse nine, uh, uh, chapter 19, verse 2. It says this, that victory was turned into mourning. Right? We, what does that mean? It's, it's all about the perspective. It's all about our perspective. It's all about the way that we see things. That David, in the midst of this moment where something good is happening, all he can see is the negative. There could be 10 things that are right, and he's so focused on the one thing that's wrong. You see, I tell you, in our culture... Gosh darn it, that is a real thing that we fight against. You know, because a new car is only new for about the first 15 minutes, and then you're on to the next thing that you're looking to do. The next adventure, the next thing, the next person, the next job, the next really, what is it? We could stay so focused on, on looking at the little things that are wrong 
rather than all the good things that are happening in our life. Because I tell you something, good, bad, but everybody has both of them happening all the time. You know, that's why, you know, I don't want to say it, you know, no condemnation, but I don't go on Instagram. And let me just share why I don't go on Instagram. Because Instagram is ultimately like everybody in the whole world posting pictures of the like 0.01%, the best, absolute best moments of their life, right? Like they could literally be going through hell and they like snap a quick selfie, right? And it's like, oh my God, like they're looking like they're having so much fun, but they just like wipe the tears off of their eyes, you know? And, and this is the thing, and not that I'm saying there's any condemnation, but I tell you something, sometimes what we could do is we could become so focused on what other people have thinking that somehow the grass is greener on the other side. But I tell you something, everybody's got the good and everybody's got the bad. And David's problem in the story was that he was constantly focused on all the things that were wrong rather than all the things that were right. The third thing that I want to talk about is in, verse, in chapter 19, verse 5, there's this beautiful moment. And this is kind of the turning point for King David, whether he knows it or not. You know, it's one of those things like it's about to get worse before it gets better. You know, that's one of the things like natural medicine is like that. You know, you go to a naturopathic doctor and you're thinking like, you know, let me just pop this pill and it's good. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're going to get way worse. And then once you're like way worse, you're going to get way worse, worse than that. But then don't worry, after you're way worse, worse, worse than that, you're going to get better, right? And so this is like what David is experiencing. He's about to get, you know, he's, oh, woe is me. And Job is about to go in and chop him up, right? But it's, it's his exit out of the ditch, right? And so Joab enters, and, and I'm so aware of this moment and how critically important it is for us to have people in our lives who could tell us the truth. Amen. Can I tell you something? There's one thing in our culture, people don't like to hear the truth. You know, it's all about, you're like, oh, don't judge me, right? You know, how do you know? Don't judge me, right? Like, just leave me here. Just let me stay here. You know, don't talk to me. I don't want to hear it. We only want to hear the good but we don't want to hear the bad. But I tell you something, sometimes nothing does you better than a good solid dose of tough love, right? I mean, sometimes you got to have people in your life who can honestly be honest with you about how bad you actually are. I tell you something, King David never would have been the man that he was if it wasn't for the fact that he allowed Joab in his life to be able to be honestly honest with him about the negative situation that he was in. Because I tell you something, sometimes the truth hurts. But I tell you, like the scripture says, the wounds of a friend, they're faithful. We have to have people in our lives who can honestly speak to us. Now, it doesn't have to be everybody. And I tell you something, you know, there's haters out there, you know? Don't let the haters try to tell you all the things that are wrong with you, okay? Because that's a whole other problem. Right? But you got to have your person. You got to have your people who can honestly, I, I trust you. You know, I believe that you're out for my good. So, you know, oh, you know, I'm taking off my body armor, right? You know, I'm letting, putting down my shields. Let me have it. Right? And why? It sounds scary, but I tell you something. What made David the great man that he was was because he had people in his life who he could do this with. You know, I heard somebody call, you know, the gift of confrontation. I need to, the impartation of confrontation. Impart it to me, Lord, confrontation. When I tell you something, what, it, you know, the reality is what? Sometimes we can't see. It's like the scripture says that, be careful that the light within you isn't darkness. Because if it is darkness, how great 
is that, I tell you something, sometimes the hardest person to be able to see is yourself. And that's why it's so valuable. You ever have that? Where like you could be doing something that you totally know is sin, but you could find a scripture in order to justify why the sin that you're sinning isn't sin, right? (laughs) We could always justify staying in our bad mood. We can always justify, but what we, having people in our lives to be able to bring that correction to us, what it has the ability to change us. Now, and, and I like this because in between verse seven and eight, it doesn't say it, but there is this moment of decision. It, you know, it's kind of this unspoken decision because one of the things that I was thinking about in the scripture as I was reading it is that, <clears throat> excuse me, you notice that Joab, he doesn't like, you know, grab King David by the ear, you know? He's all like, you know, King David, you know, get on the gate, you know, grabs him by the ear and drags him to the gate. He doesn't do that, right? You know, he doesn't like, you know, handcuff himself, you know, then so he just drags him along. That's not happens. There's this moment of decision that King David has where Joab has come in and, you know, the wounds of a friend are faithful. He's, you know, sliced them and diced them good. But he has this moment to decide, what am I going to do? I think this evening is this moment. This is our in-between seven and eight moment where we're honestly going to decide those things that we know that have kept us back, are we going to let them go? Those failures that are in our past, are we going to let those things hinder us? Those relationships that we know aren't good for us, are we going to continue to pursue them? This is our in-between seven and eight moment where I believe that God is inviting us into what David experienced, which is a greater end than we could have even expected if we'll just allow ourselves to be changed. And each of us have this moment right now where we're hearing the truth about what God is saying to us. We're hearing the truth about our situations. But the beautiful thing about it, and I love the New Testament because I love the fact that God has given us the ability, the authority of our, over our own lives to choose. You know, Joab didn't yank David back onto the gate, right? And the same way, Jesus is not gonna get off of the throne and come down here and yank you into your destiny. I heard a minister say this one time, that, that the presence of God is guaranteed, right? We know that, right? The scripture says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Romans tells us that there's nothing that we can do that will separate us from the love of God. He says that the, the presence of God is guaranteed, but the plans of God are optional. Just because you feel God and because God is with you doesn't mean, I mean, we see this in the story. Imagine where David would have been if he didn't you know, I don't even know that he would have really been written about if he didn't make this decision in this moment in between seven and eight to choose to let the past die in the past and embrace the future that God has for him. And so we see that. And then we come to this amazing moment where I love it because I love King David. I study him. You know, anybody in the scripture where God says that this is a man after my own heart, you know, my first question is, how can I be more like King David? And so I've studied him, and, and this is one of his most amazing moments because, you know, I, I know about the lion, and I know about the bear, and I know about Goliath, and I know about all the amazing exploits that King David did. But I've never fought Goliath. I've never faced off with a lion or a bear. But this moment where King David is, I can identify with this moment. I can identify with the moment of difficulty of how it feels 
to have just gone through something so devastating where I feel like I never want to move forward from this place again. I can identify with this feeling where I would say, you know, Lord, you know, if this is it, you know, take me. Like, I hate everything that's happening around me. I just want to go and be with you. I can identify with him in this moment. And I know, you know, I love David so much because of his response, because I understand the courage that it took him in order to not just stay in his bedroom, but to go back to his place of authority and be the man that God destined him to be. Listen, let me tell you, I know that walking away from the things that you're holding on with you, the baggage, the hurts, the pains, the disappointments, all the things that are behind you, I know that it's painful to let those things go. But I tell you something, if David is an example to us, there are greater things, that our latter will be so much greater than our former. And so we see this. As the scripture says this, that David got up and took his seat at the gate. You know, after all the mistakes that he made, you know, after everything that went on, you know, everything we know that happened with Absalom, David gets back to the gate and he gets back to his place of authority. And you know, when I read this, you know, I read this scripture and the thing that popped into my mind, you know, I could see King David and in the voice of Arnold Schwarzenegger, he says, I'm back. I know that I'm in the middle of my shame and my disappointment, but I'm back. I know that I've made mistakes, but I'm back. I wish that things would have been different, but I'm back. And I think that the Lord sent me here very specifically this evening so that we could be like King David, that in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our failures, in the middle of our shame, in the middle of our guilt, in the middle of our insecurities, that we could take a long, good look, you know, look the devil square in the eyes, you know, like get him like real close, like just nose to nose and let him know, hey devil, I'm back. Let me tell you something. There is nothing that is worth the destiny that God has in each one of our lives. And I tell you, it's absolutely as simple as this. It's as simple as standing up and going back to the things that we know God asked us to do. I think it was my last message in 2017 where I posed this question. What am I trying to talk myself out of that God is trying to talk me into? And I think that this, this is our response. I, I, I know for sure that if any of you, if, or hopefully all of you, asked yourself that question honestly, that there is something in you, there is some area, there's something, there's, you know, a person that you were that you know you want to be or you should be, but you're not. There is a thing that you know you should be doing, but you're not. Whatever it is, this is our response. And I'm done, so Liz, if you want to hop up there. I just want to be able to pray for you. And we're going to open up the altars at the end if you feel like you want some more ministry. But I want to pray for you and, you know, without the hype and without the, because I tell you, 
I think that sometimes it's good for us to make decisions without the hype. Because, like, if anybody could hype you up, it's me, right? Like, I know the tricks and the secrets and the things and, you know, what? You know, let me go over here and let's see what they have to say, right? I know how to do all the things. But I tell you something, sometimes the best decisions are made like King David, alone in our bedroom, in the middle of our shame, in the middle of our fear, in the middle of our insecurities, where we choose to rise up and say, I'm back. I know I've been down, but I'm back. I know I've failed, but I'm back. In the midst of my problems, I say I'm back. In the midst of the shame, the insecurity, in the midst of everything that the enemy would try to put in front of us, I stand in a place and say, I'm back. And so what I want to ask us to do is that if you identify with this, if you'd say that there's things in my life that I know, I know there are things that I'm holding on to, things that I've said or things that I've done or things of shame or guilt or condemnation or fear, anxiety. If you say, yeah, there's things in my life, I'm just going to simply invite you to stand up and I want to pray for you. Doesn't have to be everybody if you don't feel it. You know, maybe you could come pray for me, right? <laughs> but I think this is it. I think this is that moment in our life where we step past. The scripture says it like this, that the earth groans for the manifestation of the sons of God. And so I just, if you could put your hand on the person who's standing beside you. And if you're sitting, find somebody to put your hand on them. Because I'm going to believe this is our breakthrough night. That where we've had a challenge to love people, tonight we're going to become loving that where we've had a challenge to walk by faith, tonight we're gonna to be faith people. Where we've been afraid of failure, tonight's the night where we overcome. So Heavenly Father, very simply, we receive the grace. Lord, your grace is enough. In ourselves, we don't have it. But with you, all things are possible. So we choose to get back up. We choose to get back in the game, back in the fight, back in the race. Holy Spirit, come now and sever every lie, every situation, every circumstance. Sever every bit of trauma, every bit of pain, every bit of fear that would keep us stuck to or tied to past situations of failure or shame in our life. We choose as an act of our will to sever ourselves from those things. And we choose right now to bind to our soul the hope that comes from knowing Christ.
that when you hung on the cross, Jesus, you made a way where there was no way. You paid for our shame so we wouldn't have to, you paid for our guilt so we could be innocent and we receive our salvation. Not because we've earned it or because we deserve it, but we receive it because you love us and we declare we'll never be the same. In Jesus' name.